Drilling fluids touch just about everything in the drilling process. We're here to deconstruct the drilling process and drilling fluid concepts to provide a deeper understanding of our industry. In each episode, we'll share information, talk to interesting people, and maybe share a few stories along the way. Welcome to The Flow Line, a production of AES Drilling Fluids, brought to you by Matt Offenbacher and Justin Gautier. And hey, I want to remind everyone that AES will be hosting our inaugural A Simple Promise Golf Classic on Friday, November 18th, 2022. This golf tournament will benefit Simple Promise Farms, which is an amazing organization close to our hearts. If you or any companies would like to participate, there are still a few spots left to register. For more information, please see the link in the show notes. And thank you so much in advance for your generosity. We really look forward to seeing you there. Thanks. And we're back. Matt, welcome to, well, I'm welcoming you back to another episode, but I'm welcoming everybody back to another episode of The Flow Line. Matt, how are you doing today? I'm good. Welcome, everyone. (laughs) And welcome. Welcome, Justin. Thank you. Welcome, Matt. And welcome to all our listeners. And normally I end the episode by saying, please review and subscribe. But if you could, if you enjoy the show, you know, we've got a lot of listeners, a lot of downloads. If you could just share this with one person, that would be much appreciated. You've got, I'm sure, a ton of people in the oil field or anyone that's related to the drilling industry that would love to hear about the flow line, especially this episode, because I feel like this episode that we're about to record, everyone can identify with, whether you're a drilling fluid hand or not. And you know, Matt came up with this. So I'm going to give him kudos because I think it's going to be a great conversation. It's the best thing I've ever eaten on a rig. And we're also going to add the worst thing we've eaten on a rig. Matt, how did you come up with this idea? So I guess I was just kind of thinking about how meaningful it is sometimes when somebody does a cook or you get the Cajun guy or gal on the rig who's like always got something going. And I was like, man, I've had some really good meals on rigs. Yeah, And I was trying to like go through and rank them. <laughs> and I was like, you know what? This would just be a fun discussion. Like everybody can relate to eating horrible things and eating really great things on a rig. Yeah. So I was like, this is a podcast episode. This isn't a mental math thing for Matt to just keep to himself. <laughs> right. Yeah. Share these thoughts, Matt. It's good. But I think, you know, even before getting into any type of answer, I think you almost have to categorize it by, okay, what's the worst and best thing you've eaten offshore? What's the best yes. and worst thing you've eaten on land? What's the, if you've been on land? In camp, because in Canada, you go to a camp, yeah, which is similar to offshore, but not really. So again, we don't have to get into all those types of details. But again, it's just, you can see the spectrum of food that you could be exposed to when working on a rig, because it could be in a number of different places. It could be in a number of different countries. But for the purpose of the podcast, man, let's keep it here. Or I mean, maybe not. Let's just keep it worldwide, if you yeah. will. And food kind of brings everyone together on a rig, right? And so, you know, I remember I say growing up on a drilling rig, but as a young fellow on a drilling rig, it was, you know, everyone kind of brought their lunches because we weren't in camp. We were staying in hotels. And so people would bring gas station food and whatever else you could scrounge up at whatever small little town you were staying in, just enough to stuff your face for a few minutes here and there. But then all of a sudden, it's like light shining coming down. If someone came up to the rig and all of a sudden would open their truck and there would be like a bucket of KFC or mm. something. And so at that point, I was like, wow, I really take for granted good food on a rig. But yeah, and then, you know, someone will come and bring lunch for the crew or maybe someone on location is just an excellent cook, which for the most part, the folks coming out of South Louisiana typically do a phenomenal job at not only their job, 
which sometimes is debatable, you know, they do a good job of cooking for the rig. And, and so if you can cook, it can cover for your shortcomings. It, that's, yes. yes, 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 exactly. You see where we're going with that? Especially if you're used to eating at home and maybe you're fortunate enough to eat some good home cooked meals. Well, you don't always get the home cooked meals on a rig. And so Matt, how would you describe like, or why do you think food on a rig is such a big deal? Like there's always such camaraderie and you know, brotherhood around the rig during food time. Look, I'm not a cook and I'm lazy too, right? So <laughs> before I got married, I ate peanut butter and jelly sandwiches because you could freeze bread, toast it, and like peanut butter and jelly never went bad. Right. I was one of those people. And like after I got married, my wife would like make sure I had food because she was afraid I would revert back to my bachelor days and just eat peanut. Like I'd be like breakfast, lunch, dinner, cover, you know, yeah. <laughs> like especially as a mud engineer, you get into survivor mode because you're not really sure when you're going to eat. You're just trying to get something in when you can. So it's a lot of like processed foods or like, you know what? I need some protein. Let me get a can of tuna. Yeah. And so you're very much scrounging. I don't know how it works these days, but like my grocery allowance, I was trying to eat on the cheap so I could pocket some of my grocery allowance. Yeah. You know, between all that, it's kind of a combination of like sandwiches and then bowls of cereal at any time. Yeah. And like, you're just kind of getting by. Right. Especially when you don't know when you're going to eat or you want to eat because you're about to get busy or whatever. It becomes a lot of like protein bars. It's like subsistence, but it's not breaking bread. Right. Yeah. I know there are some people who are much better about those things. I know you're a healthy eater. I don't know if sure. you do much cooking for yourself, but you're pretty disciplined in your diet, Yeah, which probably helps with your energy and that sort of thing. Yeah. But do that for 14 days. Right. It's not like home. And the stark contrast between that and like somebody taking chicken out of a smoker and giving it to you or a bucket of KFC, you're like, whoa, <laughs> yeah. food is delicious. I forgot about this. That is so true. I can't help but think back when I worked for Precision. I had a driller. I hadn't worked in camp. It was about two years of living in hotels. Again, we were getting a day allowance or like a stipend or whatever yeah, they call yeah, yeah. it. Yeah. And I think back then it was like, 50 bucks a day, but that had to cover a hotel and food. Like it was cool. nothing, but yeah, it was crazy. It was not much, but it was enough to like, oh, here's a little bit to help out. And I'll never forget, we found this hotel, it was a motel. We got a, a group rake. So we're like, look, we're going to be here for like three or four months. We're all going to be, you know, sharing hotels. And so we made a deal with the hotel. It was like 23 bucks a night, which you can imagine the quality of this motel. You know, it had heat and water. And so we were good. And there was this gas station and a driller, he always stopped in the morning at this gas station and he would get raw hot dogs and O'Henry bars. Mm. And that's what he ate the entire time. And I was just like, okay, this is strange. And for me, it was canned chicken and hot dog buns. I lived off that. And so like, to your point, it never really deviated because I knew it was like, oh, okay, this canned chicken would be fine. I need some bread. So that was it for like two weeks or three weeks at a time. It was that. And I would say that's probably steeping to the low. But as a mud engineer, it was more, you had a little kitchen, right? So for me, I'm pretty sure I'd eat like 12 eggs a day and like a loaf of bread. Like all I would do is eat and I would bake these sandwiches. And so mm -hmm. like bread and eggs and little ketchup and cheese. And that was my go-to meal. What was your go-to meal? Peanut, Peanut butter, butter and jelly. <laughs> you know, I mean, you think about it, even like trying to eat healthy, like, I didn't know if I was going to get to go into town. And so right. like you buy two weeks worth of groceries or whatever and hope that you could like get something better. But you were reluctant to buy produce, you know, maybe a few like green bananas or whatever. But also when you're remote, 
the quality of what you can get, you know, there might be like a questionable bag of apples where you're like, these will rot tomorrow. You're not shopping at Whole Foods. Let's put it that way. (laughs) There's just these situations where it makes sense to get more packaged things and frozen or whatever. Yeah. That's sort of a perfect storm to poor eating habits and getting by. Mm-hmm. And if you think about all that blandness and manufacturing and preservatives, and then lo and behold, there's some great food. And we're talking mostly land, and that's a lot of where we're, but even offshore, like you eat better, you eat more hot meals, obviously, because they feed you. They have a galley or a canteen or what have you. But there was still sort of this like staples that got tired after a while until you got something special. <laughs> yeah. You know? So when I was on a, Jack up and it was fish night. Like, you know, certain days of the week, yeah. it was like maybe it was like steak Chicken night. Chicken fried or, steak. Yeah. There were these shells and it was fish and I forget what it was, but it was like they kind of fried it, but it was in a shell. Mm-hmm. Oh, I forget what the name of it was, but I was on an inland barge south of New Iberia and I'd never had them before, but like I could eat a dozen of them. They're so good. And I wish I could remember what they were, but they almost came in like a big oyster shell. Oh. Yeah. Or no. Oh, and they had like little spikes on them. Oh, someone listening someone knows listening, the name yeah, of this yeah, but, and it's not me, but, <laughs> but yeah, they came in these hard shells. They had little spikes on them and they were kind of sweet and they would fry them, but oh my goodness, they were amazing. That was probably one of the coolest, best flavorful things. Definitely not healthy, I'm sure, but mm-hmm. that sticks out. I, I mean, I could like literally picture this thing in my mind. I wish I could remember the name of it, but I would say like, if we were to answer the question, like what is the best thing you've ever eaten? To me, that was something I'd never had, but something that was very unique and super tasteful. That was like very much like Southern Cajun style, you know, and then, you know, of course, there's been folks that have made like amazing gumbo or crawfish etouffee on a rig. But I would say that's probably on the top of my list. But what's one of the best things that you ever had on a rig? So if I go with US land, I'm just going to say steak. It's pretty broad. But like I can think of one time I was on a rig in Woodville yeah, and we did steaks and we did burgers like two weeks later and that was really good too. And I was working six and two at the time. So that was oh, like- Worked out well. That was really offset the peanut butter and jelly. <laughs> yeah. um, but just like a nice proper, and you know, the steaks were from Walmart or whatever. This wasn't the fanciest meat, but it was the taste compared to all the other things I've been eating and, you know, the tool pusher grilled it all up and everything. It was just a really nice- you know, and it had all the fixings, the potatoes and the broccoli and everything. Yeah, nice. If anybody's listening to this on a rig, I'm sure they probably feel great about themselves, but. Right, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, like I would say that was most meaningful. Overseas, I was on this horrible rig in uh, offshore Indonesia, Bali Papan. It was one of those where they have like a separated galley. So expats ate on one side and the locals ate on the other. Hmm. And. You know, at first I thought it was sort of a classism thing, but then I kind of figured out the locals really didn't want to eat Western food anyways. But like at first I was like, well, I should be eating what they're eating. Like, this isn't fair to them. Mm. And then I like one, they were eating like things that I was fish heads and stuff where I was just like, I've never tried this and really <laughs> wouldn't on purpose. Yeah. The other thing was the food was better on the other side. But on Sundays, the expats, there were only like eight of us, they would do like bacon wrapped shrimp, which was like, you didn't have any bacon in a, or you could get it, but it like predominantly Muslim country, right? So it was a very differentiated, unique thing to have, mm-hmm. you know, in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. We had bacon wrapped shrimp with steak. Ooh. 
Taste. And to this day, I remember that because I remember like the company man just going off about everything that was wrong on the rig and like cockroaches infesting some of the quarters and all this stuff. And he's like, Ooh. if we can't get anything done right, we're going to get this steak night done right. That's one of those like, okay. <laughs> nice. Yeah. At least he's looking out for morale. Yeah. Yeah. No, sometimes you got to make the best of it, right? And if, if steak is going to be the one thing that sets everyone into, you know, happy land, then let's go because God knows what else could have been happening at the rig at the time. So yeah, it's interesting. And it's cool too. One thing I liked about either being in camp back home in Canada or offshore, you know, a lot of times you get to eat together and you just a lot of good banter and, and a lot of yeah. good camaraderie. And, you know, you're all looking forward to that one meal. And one thing being offshore is they had that butter in a bottle. Oh, yeah. It's like, oh, this is interesting. And it's like, wow, I can't believe it's not butter. But no, I can believe it because it's like if you look at the ingredients, it's like a bunch of plastic and whatever else <laughs> yeah, is in there. Probably still got some in your body somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Some folks would just slather it on that, which, you know, made sense. But one sauce that I'll never forget, and I still love to this day, is the tiger sauce. Yeah. Oh, that stuff is I was, amazing. I was about to bring that. Like, that's the other thing is <laughs> is by region, like yeah. the number of hot sauces or like yeah. things people leave behind on the rig. And so like yeah. in the Gulf of Mexico, there could be 30 different types of everybody's favorite seasonings from home, all Cajun in yeah. nature, of course. Yeah. And other parts... They were more sweet and everything, but yeah. like Gulf of Mexico definitely stood out in that way. But other parts of the world, you'd see that, or it would just be funny to see like a thing of Tony Sacheries in a rig and you yeah. know Azerbaijan or something, where you're <laughs> like, okay, that's traveled some distance to get here. No way, yeah, yeah. You're bringing home with you, but all those hot sauces, all those spices, yeah, that was always kind of cool. Yeah. Do you have any memories of someone tried to cook or someone brought out that it was just a complete flop or anything terrible? Like, do you have any bad experiences from eating on a rig? I mean, I have bad experiences from eating things that, like, I had no choice. Going back to the rig in Indonesia. So there was this big bird flu outbreak on shore, which, you know, back then was a big deal. And we had chicken every night. And I was just like, please make sure it's cooked. Like, I don't really know what this means. I remember like having to adjust big time and normally like when I'd go overseas, my gut bacteria would need, there'd be one day where like, I just have horrible stomach pains or something like that. <laughs> and it was almost like paying your dues. Like once it's out, you're like, all right, yeah. until next hitch. Yeah. Yeah. I remember that just like being particularly brutal mm -hmm. was chicken cooked the same way day after day. Yeah. You know, I was in a staff house in Nigeria. This wasn't even on a rig, but you really couldn't go anywhere. And because they didn't really know the origins of the meat, they charred everything to make sure that it killed all the bacteria. Right. So it was like, you just didn't even know what you were eating. It was very crunchy and chewy and it was like for <laughs> your safety. Right. The term I was told for that kind of stuff is mystery meat and you just don't ask. Yeah, you're you just... like, I hope this is chicken, but I, <laughs> given the level of charring, it could be anything. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> One thing, too, that kind of popped in my mind, kind of funny around food is, you know, if you're making relief with someone on land and you go in the fridge and, you know, there's some like really good groceries and you're kind of like, well, I mean, it's probably not going to last for, you know, so-and-so to come back to. Like, do I eat it? Do I not? Mm. Like, do I text them? Say, hey, can I have your whatever it is? Like, I always had this like sort of internal battle. I'm like, maybe I just leave it out of respect, but he probably won't remember if I do eat it or like some like good drink or like whatever the case is, right? It's yeah. the next thing you know, you're making relief. It's like, hey, where did my so-and-so go? And it's like, oh man, like well, I ate it, but I, I didn't think you were going to notice. And well, why would you eat my stuff? And you know, I'm sure people have kind of some funny stories behind that, but 
Yeah, reference the episode on my relief sucks. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. We could add that part as a supplement. Yeah, exactly. They but, ate my food. But I feel like if I was to have bought in groceries and maybe too much and left it, like I would just automatically assume that you're going to eat the groceries that are left there. I wouldn't be mad if someone ate my groceries if I left. So unless I said, hey, look, I'm saving this for yeah. next hitch. Do you mind just kind of maybe putting this off to the side? But look, babe, call us out if we're missing this. It's been a while <laughs> for me, but... <laughs> Like one, let's say you're on a pad or whatever, where your trailer's going to be there for a while. So food could be there for a while. I still feel like the one who's out there is getting by. Right. If you don't have the luxury of going into town or, or what have you, like my gift to my relief is whatever's in there is yours. And yeah. especially if I know I can't get back to town or I might not be able to my whole hitch. Guess what? I'm stocking up like I don't have anything in there mm-hmm. when I come back. Right. Unless I say, hey... I'm planning around having this stuff here when I get back. Yeah. So I don't see it that way. Plus, I mean, look, you were given a stipend to buy grocery, whatever, like the company paid for that. Like it's, I'm not depriving you financially of, that's sort of my attempt at justification. I think because I worked nights so much, I was always like terrified of my relief because they were more experienced than me Mm -hmm. that I usually just avoided touching anything. (laughs) But a lot of our taste didn't overlap either if I'm remembering correctly. But there were certain things, I'll go back to like, shout out to Dwayne the Derrican, one of the best Derricans I ever had. He just wanted orange juice. Mm. And so we always had a ton of orange juice in there and I just assumed it was all for him. <laughs> um, because he'd come by and, you know, hey, excuse me, you know, and you'd just give him a gallon of orange juice. Like, orange Dwayne, juice. here you go, buddy. Thanks for looking after everything. Oh, y'all's good oil field. Thank you so much. And the guy's riding high for like three days and then he'll come back for another gallon of orange juice. And right, yeah. You better have that teed up for Dwayne. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's a cheap price to pay for some good dairy can. Exactly. Yeah. So anyways, I don't know. Are we creating some sort of moral flexibility with grocery sharing that we shouldn't be? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe. Are we bad relief? Are we bad roommates? Like, uh, you know? I don't know. I mean, at the end of the day, we're all grown folks. So, you know, figure it out. And yeah, what's yours is yours and you don't want anyone touching it. Well, communicate that to your relief. That way there's no you know, misunderstanding when all your food's gone when you come back. Anyway, that's my take, man. I think, uh, again, just some good banter here. And uh, I'm sure everyone listening that's ever stepped foot on a drilling rig can relate to this. And yeah, if you have any stories or, you know, anything fun you want to add to this, would love to hear it. Or if you work in somewhere that's really unique and you had a cool meal from somewhere, let us know. We'd love to hear about it. You can hit us up on LinkedIn or you can reach out to us through email at Podcast at aesflues.com. Matt, you got any other cool stories regarding eating on the rig? So this wasn't on the rig. So crawfish boil. The number of places across the globe I have been commissioned to bring 10 pounds of Cajun spices in my suitcase Uh to do a crawfish boil. And it turns out crawfish are more common than you think. Like in China, they call them lobster. I mean, I don't know if that's like the best English translation, but. Okay, so pretty common over there. But when I was in Qatar, we had them flown in from Holland. Like there was like a whole system to do it through Carrefour, which is like the Walmart over there. But the most interesting one was in Azerbaijan, we had a crawfish boil and the crawfish were from the Volga River Hmm. and was crazy as they were like gigantic. They were probably four times the size of a normal crawfish. The shells were hard as anything. So you would have your hands all cut up and those spices, but like the reward, the amount of meat you got. Yeah. You know, it's the best. So hmm. just saying, no matter how far away you are, there's ways. And it was cool. Like the locals had fun trying it. And every, like, it's really fun to share your cuisine with other people. Yeah. So I just throw that in there, like on a rig in a new place. 
it can go a long way and certainly build some friendships. Yeah, no, that's super cool. I appreciate you adding that in. And again, if anyone out there has anything they'd love to add, please do it. We'd like to hear from you. And if you haven't yet, share the podcast with someone, whether they're drilling fluids or not. We're always trying to, again, just create more awareness around you know, educating our listeners. And if you have any questions or topics that you'd like us to either elaborate on or cover that we haven't quite yet, please let us know. Some of the best episodes come from the listeners asking questions. So we encourage you to do so. And with that being said, everyone, thanks for listening. Take care for now. Take care. Thanks for listening. Please tune in next week for another exciting episode of The Flow Line. And remember, may your returns always be full and your trips always smooth. Views expressed in this program belong to participants and not their employees. The program is for informational purposes only and cannot take the place of seeking professional advice. Copyright AES Drilling Fluids.